everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. This is the Progressive Commentary Hour. Today, our theme is diving into the rising death rates following the launch of COVID-19 vaccines. Are these figures realistic? Are they accurate? To join us in this cause, we have invited Edward Dowd, D-O-W-D. He is a founding partner of a major technology company, an international macro alternative investment firm. He is specialized in analyzing risk management performance for S&P 500 market opportunities and market and risk strategies. Earlier, Ed was a managing director for a large cap growth equities at BlackRock, one of the world's top banking asset holders, where he managed a $14 billion growth equity uh, portfolio. And uh, he has observed glaring inconsistencies in between official COVID pandemic reports from the government and the actual uh, glaring inconsistencies with what we're finding in other areas, including in the insurance industry. And so who is right? That's what we intend to explore. Nice to have you with us today, Ed. Gary, thanks for having me on again. Great to be here. Ed, recently a report came out. Let me just read the report off my monitor here because I want to make sure that I am stating it accurately. Uh, and this is something that has concerned us so much so that we didn't break these this story earlier when we got the actual report. We wanted to see, could we independently verify the figures? And here's what the figures state. And by the way, Dr. Um, Malone has independently verified these figures, uh, but that does not in and of itself mean that they're, they're correct. What we're told is that there's approximately 16 million injuries that have occurred in people who've taken the COVID vaccine. We are further informed that the more of these vaccines and boosters that a person has, the more likely they are to become uh, infected with COVID, be hospitalized, and even face death. This was highlighted in statistics that were presented in this report that showed massive amounts of myocarditis and other heart conditions, uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, neurological disorders, uh, miscarriages, etc. If the American public knew that these side effects could occur, and not just in that rare, rare situation, but as a rather common percentage of the people taking the vaccines, I doubt that most people would have wanted these. And if it, the vaccine had gone through the proper testing that is required of all vaccines throughout history, generally around seven or more years of testing in animals, and then roll it out gradually, then I believe that this would have been a different outcome. So would you take us through that report where we begin before we get to the actuaries and the excess deaths that have been occurring? And then you can explain that to us as well. So first, this new report that has not been published anywhere in the mainstream media, nor challenged anywhere in the mainstream media. And we're concerned that there could be 16 million people who were injured and many people dying and many people going to the hospital and many people having permanent disabilities. None of this has been 
explained to the public or even shared with the public. For a lot of people, this will be the first time they're making themselves aware of it. The forum is yours. Thank you, Gary. So I have not seen this report, um, and I haven't talked to Dr. Malone, but I, while you were talking and uh, revealing this report to me, let's go through some uh, back-of-the-envelope math to see if it's a reasonable number, 16 million. I've already talked about uh, U.S. disability rising exponentially, or at least a huge three-standard deviation event since May of 2021. In the U.S., there's a... Uh, a report that's produced by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, they do the employment reports and they gather all sorts of other information. They have a disability report. And uh, before COVID for the prior five years, on an absolute basis, that was running between 29 and 30 million a year in disabled individuals. And it's a real-time survey um, that statistically imputes the number. And the question is asked every month, are you disabled? and can't work or someone in your household disabled and can't work. That number is up about three and a half million since May of 21. That's a huge increase, huge, huge rate of change. Um, all since vaccines. Um, and then if you dig into the numbers even deeper, uh, this is going to blow your mind, Gary. Um, the, this is the total U.S. population. Then there's the civilian workforce population, which is approximately 161 million. And then from that population, there's about 98 million people in this country that actually work. Um, of, so the employed, that's the, small, that's the 98 million, experienced an uh, increase in disability of about 28%, 26% since May of 21. Um, the general population has only experienced an increase of 11%. So it's, it's obviously... Um, Interesting to note that it's become more detrimental to your health to be employed. What do we know about being employed of late? There's a lot of mandates and a lot of forced vaccination to keep your job. So that what you, that report you just cited, the 16 million, the 3 million number that I cited are those who can't work, disabled, They're, they can't work. Um, is 16 million a reasonable number? Sure, because uh, out of that total number, I'm sure some people are, are, are you know, still going to work getting by, but 16 million injuries is not an unreasonable number with 3 million already disabled, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, people will argue with me, well, that's not due to the vaccine. I will say it most assuredly is, because uh, that's that, that we just literally saw a, a steady rate year over year change, rate of change, and, it, and then it exploded into uh, 20, since May of 21 into 22. And, and as of September of 2022, we added 900,000 disabled people in the month of September. That's about the size of San Francisco. So this is a problem. This is real. This is happening. It's just the numbers. So, Gary, uh, while I, I can't confirm that, 16 million sounds reasonable to me. Let us now take a look at what you can um, you can give more specific insights on, and that was what the insurance actuaries were showing where people were actually paid death benefits. So it's not a hypothetical number. They know exactly how many people they paid insurance claims to. And what was surprising was how many working age people, younger people in their 30s, 20s, 40s, and 50s, who shouldn't be dying unless they have some specific comorbidity, but were, and there was a huge spike over how many people normally die in a given year. And there, there are not even 
examining this at the CDC or FDA or the U.S. Public Health Service to say what's going on here. We've never had suddenly a spike this high in unusual deaths, deaths that we cannot just automatically account to heart attacks or strokes or cancer or emphysema. And I understand that you were working with a team, a very qualified team, a team that really did their homework and had the tools to do a proper examination. And the higher number that I was told was in some groups, it was as high as 40% excess death. So let's just say, for example, I know that one year there were 2,850,000 plus deaths in the United States from all causes. That included COVID. And now you have a spike. And so you have to ask, well, where did these deaths come from? And did we have these excess deaths in 2020, 19, 18, 17, 16? And the answer is no. So please unravel this for us. Take your time. We really need the details because also when people in Europe began to examine these uh, uh, what unknown etiology, unknown cause of death, they found that in the countries that had the most vaccines, they had the highest death risk, excess death. In the countries that had the lowest mandated vaccine, they had the lowest. And then Israel's a special case to itself. It's like a living laboratory. And the more vaccines, the more likely death. So could you take us through each one of these to show us what is reasonable and plausible and what is not? Sure. Let's start with the insurance industry. And to me, this is a smoking gun. You know, we started looking at the insurance industry from just uh, public company SEC reports. Um, and we saw that they were taking on losses in what's called group life policies. So just a little primer on insurance. There's two types of policies, group life and individual. Individual policies are, you know, you get a salesman comes up and sells you a policy. And a, a lot of times they happen to be big ticket items, big, big uh, round numbers for, you know, wealthy individuals or not so wealthy for their family trusts. That's a different business. Group life is you're working for a corporation, usually Fortune, all Fortune 500s offer group life. And most mid-sized businesses, and this is a very specific subset of the U.S. population. And you know, I've I've been on Wall Street for a number of years, and when I would join a larger corporation, the first thing you do on day one of your enrollment is you sign your healthcare uh, form. You either pick an HMO or you know you you pay the upgrade for your private doctor, and then you sign your uh, group life policy death beneficiary uh, 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 form. And usually you just sign your name and you specify who gets the, the it's usually one to two extra base salary is what is usually offered. And it, it only happens if you die. And most of us, you know, throughout our career, just really never think of it because we don't expect to die in our 20s, 30s, 40s, and even 50s. Okay, that's just not, that's not part of the of the game plan in life and it didn't really happen all that often before 20 uh 21 in my in my friend circle um so that group the, so that that's a very specific subset of the u.s population and uh it's generally healthier than the the, the general u.s population in fact the society of actuaries did a study that i found in 2016 that examined the prior four or five years and they found that in any given year, 
the mortality rate of their group life policyholders is 30 to 40 percent that of the general U.S. population. So that's a very healthy group. Makes total sense. To receive a benefit claim, you need to be employed. You can't leave the company or get fired. You have to be employed to receive it. So when you're employed, you tend to be healthy. You tend to be active. Uh, you tend to be better educated. You tend to have access to better health care because you are in these larger corporations and mid-sized corporations. So outcomes have been historically better. That's why this is a great business for the insurance uh, industry, because, you know, they, they get premiums and most of the time no one dies. Now, what happened uh, in 2020? COVID. COVID hit and COVID kind of affected everybody. But the uh, population, the group life population, experienced less excess mortality in 2020, this is pre-vaccine, than the general U.S. population, as you would expect from prior history. Then guess what happened, Gary, in 2021? Um, the study, this, this study came out from the Society of Actuaries. In, uh, there were two studies, one that came out in August of this year and September of this year, and it's mind-blowing. In, in uh, 2021, for the age group 25 to 64, there was 40% excess mortality for the whole year. Um, and guess what the uh, excess mortality for the whole US population was, 32%. So a much healthier, younger age cohort uh, experienced eight percentage points more excess death in 2021. And that continues into 2022. I have, because of my, um, public uh, voicing of this issue, I have whistleblowers in the insurance industry who are feeding me real-time Society of Actuary updates uh, that aren't published yet, but I know for the month of August that excess mortality for the 25, the 18 to, uh, 18 to 45 group, which is essentially the millennials, was 36%, Gary. So this isn't, get, this isn't going down, it's continuing. Um, if this was a real vaccine that worked, if this was a, and, and we do know that uh, COVID has become less virulent, it's like a cold, excess mortality should be trending towards zero or below, back below zero. It's continuing at these alarming rates as of August. That's inside info. Um, so this is just, just devastating. And you know, the only thing that I can point to that makes any sense from a critical um, thinking skills analysis is it's the vaccines and the mandates. It's been detrimental to your health to be employed at mid-sized and large corporations in 2021 and 2022. The numbers bear it out. There's no denying it. The question is, why does the uh, CDC, the NIH, and uh, the FDA not uh, screaming from the rooftops about this? Why is no one in Congress screaming? It, it, it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen, Gary. Uh, it's real. It's happening. And it's devastating. Um, so that's the insurance industry. Uh, in Europe, um, my, my, um, partners in, in our hedge fund finance technologies, just, we launched a, a couple of days ago, something called the humanity project. It can be found on our website at, uh, financetechnologies.com and it's spelled P H I instead of F for finance. Um, that, that is a extensive, uh, um, analysis of excess death in Europe, in each country, and also the UK, the U S will be up shortly. Uh, but I've already covered the U.S. extensively, so that they're, they're backfilling that. But the numbers are devastating there. It shows that, in general, uh, something happened in 2021 and 2022 where young people started dying. Uh, so there's two pandemics. First one was COVID. Second one was vaccines. 
Um, and that uh, this this humanity project is is um, the thing about it that's very unique is this is prepared by two PhD physicists. Uh, they're my partners. They created methodologies around generating the ba the proper baseline to then generate excess deaths because there's a lot of dispute about that. Uh, this it could be a what they did is basically a peer-reviewed study, but we didn't bother to go to journals because we know how corrupt they are. We would just put it on a website for all to view. And the hope is that this information can be used by anyone uh, who wants to use it to take to your local school, your your corporation, your, your congresswoman or, or congressman. Uh, this is a you know a call to action, and we hope it's a force multiplier, and we hope that eventually we get called before Congress in testimonials to provide the evidence of what's going on. And again, we're just we're just number guys. We just present the data. The data is the data, no matter how you slice it, and it's devastating. Um, in Israel, um, I've not done a lot of work in Israel, and you're right. That's that's an experiment unto itself. What I am hearing is that booster uptake now is at two percent. So the um, citizens of Israel are onto something, and they're horrified as well. So. Whether or not Israel, the government of Israel, is going to ever admit anything remains to be seen. But it looks like word of mouth is spreading in Israel. Were you able to look at the, uh, it's about 12 minute long video clip of a thrice board certified physician testifying before a board in California? I think his name is Dr. Youngblood, and he was showing graphs. And everything he said, he had a graft. These were all official statistics, meaning he was not showing anything that he made up. Rather, he was showing you information that the government had made up, but the government had not given this out to the public. He and other physicians and scientists examined the data and said, this is horrific. Have you had a chance to look at that 12-minute uh, video clip? I, I watched, yes, Gary, I watched that video and what's great about our discussion in that video are two things. First, you know, I, I'm a numbers guy. I'm not a doctor. So what I do is I count uh, um, the bodies and I count the disabilities. And then I make uh, I, I have a thesis as to what's going on. So that's not science. That's not medical uh, or scientific uh, explanations. The video that you just referenced provides the explanation. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I will say I'm familiar with uh, antibody-dependent enhancement. I'm familiar with uh, what happens when you uh, uh, do those types of things and those happen uh, when you, you know, give a vaccine into a pandemic and um, it doesn't work and it's leaky. And everything in that video basically showed uh, that, that uh, if you take the vaccine, you're more likely to get COVID, you're more likely to um, get sicker. Um, and it's negative efficacy, meaning it's it's worse to get it, it's better if you don't get the vaccine to get uh, to get COVID rather than the vaccine because the vaccine will um, uh, weaken your immune system and 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 cause you to not only get COVID but worse than an unvaccinated person and then secondarily continue to get COVID as your back your immune system is blown up. So this is devastating stuff. That video I recommend everybody watch. It's um it's kind of it's kind of the uh, the scientific reason why I'm seeing what I'm seeing, um, and uh, that's not to mention the the um, the most acute um, uh, adverse reaction, which is death. You know, there's things worse than death, and some of the, these are vaccine injuries. So 
this is this is just the tip of the iceberg, Gary. And that video does a very good 12-minute summation of the scientific and medical reasons what's going on. And again, I'm just counting the numbers, and the numbers are just devastating. So we're getting it. We're we're, we're basically covering our bases in this chat today. I just want to go through some of the beliefs that we've had and been convinced, the average American convinced that these are accurate. But now we're seeing by multiple independent scientists that the information we've been led to believe is true is actually misinformation. And then they come back recently in a just last week in Atlantic magazine cover story saying, isn't it time that we uh, that we had an amnesty? Are you talking about South African amnesty, where you had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where you had to go and talk about everything you've done wrong. If you left anything out, you could be prosecuted. No, we're not talking about anyone like Anthony Fauci, uh, talking about the secret meetings he had and what went on those meetings. No, we're talking about, we just should simply say, it's okay, uh, lessons learned, like we said after Vietnam, after Afghanistan, after uh, after Iraq, uh, we said lessons learned. Yeah, but there's a lot of dead bodies and a lot of injured people, and no one was held accountable. So I just want to give you a few in the audience, a few highlights from what the actual science is. At the very beginning, we were encouraging people to build up their immune system because a strong natural immunity means that no matter what you're faced with, you're going to have more time on your side, and you're going to be, if you're the average person, especially younger, you're going to be better off if you are infected than a person who has no natural immunity because they're very unhealthy and have many comorbidities. Uh, secondly, there was no promotion of that, by the way. Let's, let's get American healthy. You would have thought the Surgeon General, U.S. Public Health Service, that would have been their first uh, dictate especially for people who had comorbidities. And we were finding high death rates in Europe, especially in Italy and in Spain, from people who were in their 80s. I think average age was about 81. And that was already past America's average lifespan, which was at that time around 78.3, uh, 78 years and three months. But they already had a heavy background in smoking or drinking. They were obese. They had um, emphysema cancers, high blood pressure, et cetera. So they had a whole litany of comorbidities. So when they began to die in nursing homes, partly it was because they no longer were caring for those people. Their argument, especially in Sweden, was if we're going to have this pandemic and if the, if the model given to us from a College of London is accurate, we have tens of thousands of people in Sweden who are going to die, and every country had different amounts based upon their population. So let's make the hospitals, ICUs, available for younger people who have not yet had a chance to live their lives. It was a kind of an existential angst position to be at. Gee whiz, whose life should we save? Where should we put the energy and the, and the medicines in an older person who's in hospice care and dying? in nursing homes ready to die, and assist living centers probably going to die if they go from assist living into there. And you're talking about a substantial amount of people. And they said, no, no, we're going to put all the energy into younger people. And so they did a lot of things like in Great Britain, 
They ordered in over 100,000 of these special tranquilizers. Um, and these tranquilizers are what are used in assisted suicide. They put a person into a, a very relaxed state of mind, but then they cause the person's death. And they had a high spike in excess death in, in the nursing homes, assisted living centers, and hospice care. But then if you look at the general population, and in Sweden that's a good example because they didn't have the general lockdowns. They didn't have the students uh, barred from school. They weren't all required to wear masks. They, they said if you're sick, if you manifest any symptoms, isolate yourself, then seek medical care. As a result, their businesses didn't close, their economy didn't crash, and they had the initial higher rate because well, the people who would have been getting treatment for diabetes and cancer, heart disease, they weren't getting treatment. And they acknowledged this. And so they died. And they died quicker than what they normally would. But after that, there was a great decline down into the death rate. And to now, it's almost zero. Um, and so in the United States, we did nothing for people who we said were at risk. We did nothing to help them build up their immune system to give them whatever natural immunity through healthy plant-based diet, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, zinc, etc. Instead, we just said everyone's the same, so everyone gets treated identically. That was so stupid. But then we were told the only way you know if you have the disease is get a PCR test. And I happen to have been a professional friend I'm interviewing many times, Dr. Carrie Mullis, who won the Nobel Prize for discovering the PCR. And even on the internet now, there's an hour and 54 minute interview I did with him, and he makes it very clear, and always has. Don't use my PCR test to determine the state of a disease based upon what you're looking at. And, uh, and yet they did just the opposite. So they were giving levels of magnification of whatever it was they were looking at, at about sometimes around 43, 44 magnifications, which is huge. Even Anthony Fauci said anything about 33 is just junk. And yet, if you went in and you got tested, and you tested positive, and probably 90 to 95% of Americans who were tested tested positive, but it was a false positive because they were doing these high amplifications, then you suddenly became a case. So now they had all these tens of millions of Americans over 100 million Americans who were positive, and therefore the New York Times started labeling them cases. And that then justified the numbers to, to say that it was a pandemic. Then the only drug that was given when you were in hospital was remdesivir, and that had never been actually used in a clinical study on this COVID virus. Instead, it was used on Ebola in Africa, and 54% of the people, humans using it, died. And yet that was Anthony Fauci's favorite drug. It was very expensive. So that's what people got when they went into the hospital, that and, and uh, intubation and uh, breathing machine. Well, that was the wrong approach. Even pulmonologists were saying we shouldn't be doing this, but it didn't matter. No one challenged Anthony Fauci. No one was allowed to challenge him. So we were treating people wrong. We were diagnosing them wrong. And all the while, uh, we were telling people, you're essential, you can go back to work. So a liquor store became essential. But a gym that would help people was not essential. I mean, that's just insane, right? Liquor, yeah. yes, uh, you can have all the liquor you want, no problem. 
And I'm thinking, this is just, this is insane. And then you had, the next step in this was, uh, we had some doctors, not many. In fact, their first press conference, there were about 10 of them in front of the Supreme Court building wearing their white coats. And they were talking about how they had saved lives using some FDA-approved off-label drugs like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, monoclonal antibodies, some steroids, antibiotics like azithromycin, but vitamin D3, zinc, which was the real killer of the virus, and uh, vitamin C, quercetin. And as a result, their patients weren't going to the hospital and dying. In fact, one of the doctors treated over 10,000 patients and only four died. In the four out of 10,000 that died, he was not able to start them early, and they were already in hospital, and they were getting very high doses of a drug, and it was beyond what they should have been giving. But of all the ones he was able to treat early, none died. Now, that should have been a clarion call. It was not. To the contrary, immediately the government and all of its agencies began to condemn that we're involved, began to condemn the early use by any drug other than wait for the vaccine or in, uh, stay quarantined to your, you literally, your lips turn blue and you got to be rushed to the emergency ICU. But then countries began to see when they used ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, especially in Africa, it was called Sunday Sunday drug. They would use it once a week and it would help prevent malaria, schistosomiasis and other conditions. It would cause um, blind, uh, what is also known as uh, river blindness. And, and it was safe. It won the Nobel Prize for being one of the most important drugs ever created. Yeah, I mean, it was right up there with insulin and antibiotics by Alexander Fleming. In any case, then we saw something for the first time in American history. We'd never seen it before. We saw the doctors who were using these early treatments, these were all orthodox doctors, all pro-vaccine doctors. Malone and others actually took the vaccine themselves. So these were not anti-vaxxers. And they began to hear complaints of side effects and sudden deaths. And then in 2021, we started to see for the first time in American history, you might see in one year, four major athletes die of a heart attack, and sometimes less. We had over 800. We would see them dropping dead. Now, mind you, these people are at average age 23, soccer player, healthy as can be. You don't get any healthier than a soccer player. I mean, that's really aerobic, and yet dropping dead. And yet they would not attach the vaccine to the people drop, dropping dead frequently of myocarditis, which they said was transient and uh, minor. A, it's not. There's no such thing as a transient myocarditis. It's a scarring of the heart muscle, which does not replicate itself. As a result, you have that scar for the rest of your life. And the likelihood is if you're a kid or young person and you get myocarditis, you will die a very short death, meaning you're not going to live out your lifespan by any measure. So they were giving the wrong information, but why? Why would you attack every single doctor? We're talking about people such as the one of the top emeritus, uh, top uh, tenure professors at at uh, Yale, who sat on uh, like five or six editorial boards of major epidemiological and oncology magazines, published over three hundred articles in the peer-reviewed literature, had been involved in a, a counseling with the FDA, 
So these are all people who sat at the table, all of them. And yet for the first time in American history, it was like seeing a thousand scorpions all fighting in a cocktail glass. Now, the difference is these guys fought back. These guys, these guys, because what it, I don't care what their, their indignation of being having a lifetime career impeccable at the highest end of the scientific and medical establishment, never a controversy. And now all of them, there were no exceptions. Everyone in the world who challenged the prevailing view was torn to pieces by the media. And they were all using the same words, like ivermectin was horse-based. No, it wasn't. So what we did is Richard Yell and I, we went to the peer-reviewed literature and we found hundreds of studies in the peer-reviewed literature with thousands of scientists working on hundreds of thousands of patients that were published. So on the one hand, the people on every television show and governmental agency, there's no proof, there's no studies, there's no clinical experience. And here's all of these peer-reviewed scientific studies. So we published them online, hundreds, showing anywhere from 80 to 95% reversal of COVID if you got it early and then prophylactically using a smaller dose. And yet no one would touch that. No one would touch the preventative uh, diet and lifestyle to help your immune system. And so as a result, we saw people dying um, that didn't need to because there was a treatment. So then the question is this, and I'm just giving you the overview and then I'm gonna uh, invite you to go through any th things I've been mentioning. Why, if you had some of the finest thousands now, thousands, one group had 17,000 members, all scientists and physicians. Why, if you have thousands of scientists and physicians working with patients, their lives are being saved by early intervention, why would you attack all of them, no exceptions? We've never seen this before. And then they fought back. And that's because the only way that any of these drug companies could market that vaccine was through the FDA allowing for a temporary emergency authorization use. And the FDA, and we got the actual FDA, uh, FDA's rules, you cannot authorize a temporary, uh, a temporary emergency use authorization if there's any other product in the market that could do the same thing. So now you know the motive of why they had to destroy all of the therapies and all of the clinical experiences from doctors all over the world, including in the su southern state in Mexico and the most populous state in India. They went from one of the highest death rates in the world to one of the lowest after they started giving them kits. And the kit was the antibiotic, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, vitamin C and D. And suddenly in, in Brazil, in Paraguay, in Argentina, in other countries, in, in, um, in Japan. The health minister in Japan, in Tokyo, started giving this protocol down, down to almost nothing when the deaths and hospitals were no longer full. So we had, we had a competing paradigm, but only this one was given any credibility. Now, from that time till now, we've had studies showing that over 200 studies in the period of literature showing that if you get natural in immunity and 
by being infected, you have a far stronger and more durable immune response. In fact, it's still durable at almost 17 months. With the average vaccine, it begins to wane immediately, and then it goes into a negative position, which is what that film showed, that you actually are more susceptible to getting sick and dying with the more vaccines you take, and that was especially true in young people. And yet, when we looked at the actual scientific studies, there is no study I could find that could show you that children were at risk from COVID more than they were from the vaccine side effects. So we were giving the wrong treatment. We were giving the wrong test. We were, we were attacking people who had never done anything wrong in their career except believe in orthodoxy. And we were preventing people from learning the right lessons. And now they turn around and say, well, I really never said that. Oh, yeah, you did. Here's the video. Well, I didn't really tell people they needed the mask. Yeah, you did. Here it is. Now show me the clinical studies that wearing that mask will prevent something at the size of a, the size of a 0.1 microns of a virus when the mask doesn't, uh, doesn't prevent that. To do that, you couldn't breathe in and you couldn't exhaust carbon dioxide out. And then we have all the masks and the danger done to the neurological system of children. We had two separate video clips, both good, showing that there was a device in each one. One measured oxygen deprivation. It should be around 21%. When it went down to 19%, which took about 16 seconds of wearing a mask, any mask, alarm went off. The child was oxygen deprived. That can cause neurological damage. And the other mask, they had carbon dioxide buildup. And that took about 13 seconds for all these children. Now think of them, millions, tens of millions of children wearing these masks, having a double negative. Oxygen deprivation, harming the brain, some nervous system, and carbon dioxide overabundance. And uh, so everything we were told was wrong. Now these same people float in a cover story in which they have a lot of control over the major media. Let's have amnesty. I gave you the overview. Sorry it took so long. Could you address any of those points, please? Sure. You know, one, one thing that struck me as you're talking about all this is People will ask the question, well, how, how could this possibly happen? And I have a thesis, that, and, and the proof is starting to, to, as we roll through the calendar year of 2022, and, and as we roll into 2023, um, I think my thesis is going to hold up pretty well. And the thesis is this. It's, it's, a, it's a conspiracy of interests. Uh, I call it the, the meta fraud. And COVID, when COVID came, it was a perfect storm. So it gave uh, government saw it as an opportunity to seize control and get more power. Uh, the pharmaceutical companies saw it as an opportunity to become monopolies under the color of law. And the plan originally was to have quarterly boosters for the rest of your life. So they saw dollar signs. Um, then uh, you had the tech companies, big tech, um, seeing an opportunity from surveillance technologies and revenues, future revenues from that, and also getting advertising dollars from uh, Big Pharma on their, on their sites. Um, and in addition, the mainstream media gets a large uh, portion of their revenue streams from pharma ads, uh, which we're one of the only countries to actually allow pharmaceutical ads on TV. That's, I think that happened in the 90s. Um, and then additionally, we found, we came, we, we found out Gary, and I, I think you know this as well, that uh, the government gave media companies 
over a billion dollars to uh, promote the vaccines and kind of suppress any uh, counter narrative to it. Um, and then we have uh, the FDA, which gets 75% of its um, budget in the, in the, uh, far, in the, um, it's 50% of their overall budget. They do other things, but when it comes to um, new products in, in pharma, they, 75% of their budget comes from licensing fees from big pharma. So this is an institution that's been corrupted, wholly corrupted over time. And it, it's, it's been there for a while, Gary, but people didn't see it because the corruption was in one-off products. We had the Purdue Oxycontin uh, uh, devastation, which was uh, uh, revealed. Um, so this, this, the FDA was bought and paid for and a stamped, uh, uh, rubber stamped a vaccine that uh, we're going to come to find out. There was probably fraudulent data uh, in the vaccine clinical trials. We're going to come to find out that they just really didn't look at, at the adverse events uh, reports. They tried to hide the data for 75 years, as you know. So this is, and, and, and like you said, the vaccines needed, uh, needed uh, no competition. So there was willful suppression by the government, by the tech companies to suppress any knowledge of alternative treatments and uh, the pharmaceutical companies uh, involved behind the scenes as well and media suppressing. So it was a conspiracy of interests. Um, and I call it the meta, uh, what I, I, I deem it the meta fraud. Now that's a thesis, but I think, I think it holds up, it's gonna hold up well over time um, what we do know is that the body count is real, the disabilities are real. So that's what I can, that's what I can speak to definitively. Um, and it's, it's recently, I, I guess a judge recently um, said that the uh, White House has to uh, turn over all its uh, documentation of their communications between uh, tech companies. And you know, not, not, not only will it be found that there were political um, suppression, there was also suppression when it came to the vaccines and other uh, life-saving treatments like early treatment. So it's, a, it, it's you know, this is not a bunch of people. This is not six people in a room smoking cigars, laughing maniacally. It's a conspiracy of interest. And everyone saw an opportunity and they all left at it. And they all kind of worked together in a loosely knit uh, coalition. And this is the result we have, Gary, the biggest disaster uh, it, I'm calling this the great fraud. It's the biggest human disaster we've ever seen. The other thing I'd like to comment on that you, 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 you touched upon, I have a book coming out called Cause Unknown, the epidemic of uh, sudden death in 2021 and 2022. And it, it shows a lot of the insurance data, uh, the European data. And, uh, but, you know, it's a book to kind of convince the marginal mind. And we start with sudden deaths in athletes, the, pr the prime the, the most fit amongst us. And there was a study done, the Lusane study, uh, and it was it ran the court, it, it looked at 38 years. And over 38 years, on average, across the globe, 29 people that are supremely fit athletes die uh, on the field. 29. Um, or, 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 or shortly thereafter the field, but they die for, for um, cardiac, usually cardiac reasons, sudden death. Very rare, 29 globally a year. Uh, we would be lucky, Gary, uh, to have a month uh, with 29 since 2021 began. Uh, we have months that, that you know, average between 40 to like 90 a month. And that's month after month after month. And those are the fittest amongst us. So you can imagine what's going on with the less fit, and it's worse. So, you know, this, this, um, this, uh, 
this is the great fraud in my, and I've been on Wall Street. I saw the dot-com fraud. I saw the great uh, real estate crisis fraud. Uh, and this is what I call the great fraud. And in the fraud, uh, in the dot-com fraud, what broke down there it was the investment bank, the banking community used to do what's called due diligence. Well, they suspended with that and started um, uh, issuing an, uh, initial public offerings of companies that should never have been uh, brought to market. And there was euphoria, and those stocks were bought, but they eventually went to zero. Roll forward to the great financial crisis. What, what, how, did, how was that fraud perpetrated? Well, you had uh, the rating agencies triple uh, that give uh, ratings to bonds. And the, the bonds that were being created by Wall Street were called CDOs, collateralized debt obligations, that would pool mortgages together. And this allowed the fraud to grow. And uh, the rating agencies get paid by the issuer to rate the bond. And you know, in, in the sleepy corporate world, corporations don't issue bonds in huge volumes all the time. So they do their work, they do their due diligence and give the appropriate rating. Well, the, the volume of bonds being issued by Wall Street was so large that the rating agencies became corrupted by the money and rubber stamped a lot of these bonds, which uh, some astute uh, hedge funds figured out were uh, fraud and made a killing uh, in, in what was called the big short. Michael Burry was one of those individuals who saw this and this fraud now has been moved has moved into our regulatory uh, body. Uh, it's gone uh, to the FDA, the NIH, the CDC, where they all seem to be able to participate in some cash flow streams or revolving doors into these corporations if they if they play ball with these uh, pharma companies. So this is the great fraud, Gary. And over time. Uh, the American public will become aware of it. The problem, you know, you and I have is we're still living in this twilight world where the mainstream media doesn't dare even look at the numbers that you and I discussed today. And isn't it curious that there were such uh, fanfare about cases and deaths in 2020, but we, 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 we don't hear a peep about these excess death rates, which are well beyond COVID at this point, what happened in 2020. Um, we don't hear a peep about it. There's nothing. It's radio silence. So this is where we are. We're in the cover-up mode, Gary, and they continue to, to um, go forward. That's why they approved the childhood vaccine schedule recently. That was a legal trick because once you get it on that vaccination schedule, you get immunity once it comes off EUA. So they are literally in cover-up mode and pretending uh, and doubling down and tripling down and pretending nothing is going on. That's what, that's what criminals, the criminal mind does. When they're caught, they keep going until they're stopped. Unfortunately, our regulatory agencies are um, captured. And the, the humanity project that we uh, launched, if you read our mission statement, we basically acknowledge that we don't, want, we don't have regulatory agencies that used to look out for us anymore. They're captured by political and financial interests. So we're attempting to be the watchdog of the watchdogs. It's pro bono work. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a cry to kind of save the marginal mind and the marginal life and, and, and save someone from being disabled. So we're, we're trying to stop this. And, you know, um, you, you know, as you know, we're, we're all kind of trying to get the message out, but this, this, sh this should be screamed from the rooftops by the mainstream media, but unfortunately it's not. And there's still people believing everything's hunky dory. And that's the problem we have. It's a, it's a, it's a battle for the marginal mind. I, I know I, 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 uh, when I first came on the scene, you were one of my first interviews, and you're doing yeoman's work. 
um, getting the message out. And I applaud you for what you've done. Um, we're, we're all trying to, to save lives, and that's all we're, we're trying to do. Good. Final short answer on this, Ed. If you were to give the best guesstimate of how many people, based upon the excess deaths beyond normal in a given year, could you give us an idea of what range that's in at this moment? Um, you know, we're working on that number right now. We're trying to, we've been studying the excess death rates and we're trying to come up with a number. I'd love to share that. I'll share that with you once we get the number pinned down. I don't want to, it's large. Um, you know, Steve Kirsch has said it's north of 500,000 in the U S alone, uh, vaccine deaths. And he's, and says that's probably low. So that's a number that Steve Kirsch is comfortable with. We're going to try to come up with a number for the U.S., the U.K., and Europe. And uh, when we do, we'll get back to you on that. Thank you. I look forward to our next discussion. My guest, Edward Dowd. I'm Gary Knoll. Thank you all for listening and watching the Progressive Commentary Hour. Have a nice day.